This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, it's very exciting. As you know, it's linked with uh, my book, which is out now called Creativity, Spirituality and Making a Buck. Yeah, good title. Yeah. Those those three topics are kind of intertwined. And I'm... Uh, having chats with people I consider the manifestors of some of the principles embodied in the book. Some. A home run is all three. <laughs> Double is two. A single is one. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the people reading the book are sometimes people who are trying to get an entrepreneurial venture off the ground, mm-hmm. m- maybe one that has a spiritual flavor to it, like mm-hmm. a wellness center or something like that, a yoga studio. And then also pure creative types, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people who are interested in linking their creativity with their livelihood piece, which is sometimes a gap for, for, for people. Highly recommend it. Yeah, to put them together. Oh, it's it's yeah. a home run. Well, so um, I want to... Uh, I know when it's not, and yeah. I know when it is, and when it is, it's a home run. When you can put all three together. Oh, for sure. That's a home run. Is that what you were referring to? Well, I was referring to like when you're in line, when your creativity and your work are in line or right. or they leverage each other it's uh doesn't feel like work okay what does it feel like it just feels good uh-huh. there's no uh um it feels right mm-hmm. let's just say that and you know for me um not one day feels like work i don't know what day it is i don't need a saturday i don't need a sunday mm-hmm. um I work a lot, probably more than ever. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about some of your work life mm-hmm. over the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years or so? Decades. Decades, sure. Because you've had a very diverse career. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I made the absolute most giant mistake and started as an accountant, which was just ridiculous and absurd. You were an accountant? 
Like I was literally absolutely an accountant. At, at the beginning of your career? Ernst and Young. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't think they were really ready for that. Um, <laughs> they weren't ready for you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I certainly was not ready for it. Okay. Um, but it was like a heart versus head decision. Was that right out of school that you, mm -hmm. you went into that? I just was like, why not become an accountant? You'll always be able to get work mm -hmm. and I can get a job right out of school. And mm -hmm. no one stopped me or I never asked anyone and said, hey, does this make any sense? And someone who would have known me would have been like, are you effing crazy? Mm. So I went and did it. And, uh, you know, 15 years I spent in the financial track. And Was that all being an accountant for 15 years? I mean, I was in, I was a financial person for the, those 15 years. I ended up as CFO of Universal Motown Records. Within that 15 year period. Mm, yeah. So that's quite a, that's quite a step up from being an accountant at EY, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I was successful at that. And, uh, but that was the problem, you know, I kept getting bigger jobs and more money in something I absolutely hated. Ah, uh -huh. so the. It was like a vacuum that was sucking me up, even oh, though mm -hmm. I was, you know, mm -hmm. I was climbing the ladder and stepping over people as I was doing it. So the thrust was just more money, more money, more money or position, um, power? I, mean, I was really trying to get out of it, to tell you the truth, but mm -hmm. just more and more came. Uh -huh. um, and then it started to shift. I ended up being, I got uh, added to that COO of Universal Motown, and then I did start to venture into other areas. I started, um, I went to my boss in 1999 and said, I think we need to get into the internet. And he said, uh, the internet's not going to amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, all due respect, you're just old and you don't know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Wow. And he said, all right, you can have one person. And that grew into 60 million in revenue and 20 people. And what aspect of the internet? Um, selling music? Or? Marketing and selling music. Marketing and selling music. Yeah. So you pioneered that for, for Universal. Oh, yeah. I, with, within the label I was in. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a fairly big deal, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, you know, at the time, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you could think things are a big deal or not. At the time, they don't feel as big as when you look back, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And was um, also really involved in some of the thinking around Universal's relationship with Apple. Ah, okay. I was pretty involved in that. Um, in those early days when Apple started to put... Like at the very beginning, yeah. yeah. How to do business with them and what it would look like and yeah. all of that. And that led to, you know, uh, I ended up starting to work more closely with the chairman and the vice chairman of the company on digital stuff. Mm -hmm. And that led to a global digital job, which was fascinating. I mean, you know, was that more fun than being an accountant at that point? Uh, infinitely. So more you were fun. enjoying your work more at that point? Or? I guess. I mean, I think for me, um, I really did like music. I mm -hmm. love music. And I was in music for most of my career. Um, I wouldn't say I got into it because I was one of those record junkies that, uh, mm -hmm. but it turned out it was great, mm -hmm. you know, and it turned out, you know, I'd worked with, either with directly or around a lot of very influential artists. Oh, wow. um, uh, but there's something that just wasn't really right. Um, 
and it what year are we in now just to get a little reference i mean i knew something was wrong in around 2000 oh, okay about 18 years ago yeah and i ended up standing next to deepak chopra at a wedding in india wow and um <laughs> standing next to him they didn't have chairs or i mean we were at some kind of giant right. posh event oh wow at okay. this wedding it was his niece and uh-huh. um our friend was getting married right. and uh we struck up a conversation and he of course was interested in putting out a record uh-huh. and he said he'd send me a box of books and i was like don't because i don't read and uh I got home and on my doorstep was a box of books from Deepak Chopra. Ah, so you ignored your yep. comment. And I uh, picked up the skinniest one. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning. What was it? Do you remember the name of the book? Seven, Seven Laws of Spiritual Success or something, oh, okay. something like that. His right. big hit. And did it ring your bell? Was it, did it I was, I just like cracked wide open. Yeah. Wow. I had, I, I had typed it into my calendar. Mm-hmm. The entire book. So every day I'd read one small piece of that book. You typed it into your calendar? Not really. I had no. an assistant. Too. I guess there's no no Kindle in those days. I was an asshole. I had like two assistants. <laughs> I was I was I was a self proclaimed asshole. And and did you follow up with the relationship with Deepak Chopra? Did you ever see him again? No. Did you make a record with him? No. And, and just it was that one bump, and and then that sort of. We had maybe a little bit after that, but not really. No. I mean, it was. Uh, I didn't need it, uh-huh. um, and that begun a journey from began was the beginning of a journey for me that you know put your nose you just follow your nose kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't like this hard charging spiritual drive mm-hmm. but it was definitely coming from a place of I know I'm miserable yeah and there must be something better than this mm-hmm. and that. You know, I went to Kripalu, I took a course with a couple of nuts and that really cracked me open. And then from there I did a two day with Jack Cornfield and then and Tara Brock. Um, and then from there I went straight to attending meditation retreat at IMS with Joseph Golson and Sharon uh, Salzburg. And, uh, and since then I've probably done two dozen long term, you know, more than one week retreats. Um, and followed a lot of different people and uh, and the results are staggering for me personally just internal happiness uh-huh. which you know it took the better part of 18 years to blow up my old life yeah. like two like a tank or two miles to make a right hand turn so in those 18 years how much of it did you continue with the livelihood piece that you had which was working at Universal it started I mean Interestingly enough, my big run started to happen after this. I started to let go completely. Mm -hmm. Things started to change for me in terms of how hard I efforted. But were you still working at Universal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say my the biggest trajectory of my change in my career started after this. You know, my first after that book showed up. So the more internal alignment you felt, the the easier your career. path became? I mean, a lot of it had to do with um, letting go Uh versus thinking you're doing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I started to let go, more and more came. Very classic 
you know, some of this, you know, run-of-the-mill generic spiritual stuff. The more you let go, the more comes. But in your case, letting go didn't mean that you didn't have basic skill sets that you'd cultivated over a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, that's a misnomer that you do nothing and everything comes. That's that's nonsense. It's not that. It's, um, it's, uh, throwing your effort at things, but letting go of the outcome. That's a big, that's a big realization. Um, and throwing your effort at the project, at, but letting go of the outcome. Yeah. It's the outcome where we get caught. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but that led to me becoming close friends with Simon Fuller, who created American Idol. We almost we started a venture with him. He and I became friends. He offered me a job. I left Universal to go work there. What year was that? Mm, let's say 2000, 2009. Okay, so about nine years ago. Yeah. And, um, and you were working for American Idol? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did American. I did online voting for American Idol okay. and online auditions and a whole bunch of other stuff for him. But that lasted only a couple of years. But it was really about seeing him operate as an entrepreneur because uh-huh. I really wanted to do that. And it was while you want, was, you want to move closer towards an entrepreneurial track for yourself. Yeah, I really wanted to start my own thing. Yeah, um, and you know, while I was there, I had this idea to start a cooking business, and uh, then I was I had the opportunity um, to consider it, and one thing led to another, and I got to the edge of a giant 30, 30 you know three meter diving board, and. Head first off the board. <laughs> what year was that? Just to put it in context. 2011. So seven years ago. Yeah. And that's when everything really started to groove. And can you can you just tell us about a little bit about the company that you created and what the it's a, project um, is? It's a company that's its mission is to help people make something delicious for someone they love. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Is that and part of the marketing? Uh, and it's a little too soft for for you really for make something delicious for someone you love. That's I that's love what the objective is, yeah, and uh, um, it's about video because I was mm-hmm. a pretty frustrated home cook following recipes. Everybody didn't know how to cook that well, right. um, and so I looked at the market. There wasn't a lot of video, and I wanted to build a business around video. So I started. Wanted to work with really, really highly accomplished chefs, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I put some of my own money in, and some friends gave a little bit of money, and I built a, a video subscription business that features really accomplished chefs making home-friendly recipes. The name of it is? Pana. Pana. P-A-N-N-A. Pana. Like Pana Cotta. And if somebody wanted to explore it, how would they? Pana.com? Or? That's panacooking.com. Panacooking.com. Or Pana in the App Store. Yeah, just Pana. Okay. So everybody out there... Go get it. Check it out. Well, if you yeah. want to make something amazing. Yeah. I, I'm sitting up here out. with Dave in his office in Manhattan, and the whole back part is a kitchen with some amazing people in there, some amazing-looking <laughs> food. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Great, great vibe. Great feeling here. Well, that's kind of like... Um, it took me a long time to figure out myself mm-hmm. to tap into my own creativity. Um to believe and then believe in what me 
yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then through that also to attract the right people and then to give them, you know, my management style has morphed a lot over the years. People have under me enormous amounts of autonomy. I've, there's no one I've hired that knows what they're, they're doing a job that they knew before they started doing. No kidding. Yeah. No one. But did they have aptitude and sort of uh, potential? Yeah, how, did, how did you choose them I, to do it? I look for people first that have the right EQ. Mm -hmm. And then seem, you know, really intelligent. Yeah. And then they have to have the passion. Mm. And when you have intelligence, EQ, and passion for cooking, mm -hmm. and then you throw things at them. And you see, you throw, we throw everybody in the deep end, and you swim or you don't. I mean, some people haven't made it here, um, but the people who are here, the team is—it's uh, kind of special. Now, do you need place. any consultants for people who have a passion for eating? <laughs> no, Dave. I'm volunteering. I think we're, I think we're good there, buddy. <laughs> but it's quite nice. And, uh, you know, when I pick my head up, we've now, Apple picked us as one of the best apps in the App Store three of the last five years. That's 70 apps out of 100,000 usually submitted. Wow. And does that have impact on the, on sure. the marketplace? Yeah. Did you see immediately? Uh, sure. I mean, that Welcome. helps. And uh, the James Beard Foundation picks it, picked us this year's um, best uh, instructional video, which is really nice. That's a, mm. that's an organization that's highly respected in the mm -hmm. culinary field, so we've gotten respect there. And at this point, we've worked with 70 or 80 of the most accomplished chefs in the country, from Daniel Ballard to I mean, dozens and dozens of So you have chefs. video with chefs like Daniel Ballard on your app? Mm -hmm. I can put my yeah, little iPad and, in the kitchen and, and he's and, your iPhone and he's making ratatouille like oh. I got Daniel Ballou to do the dishes he grew up on right. yeah, it totally sounds like a home run to me. it's a home run yeah it's a home who run. are some of the other chefs um Sean Brock from Nashville Nancy Silverton Jonathan Waxman Anita Lowe Michael Anthony Michael, Michael Solomonov, you may not know the names if yeah. I mention the restaurants you know me. Yeah, sure. We probably have the James Beard. We will only work with people who have won a James Beard right. or have Michelin stars. And we probably have six or seven chefs that have won most outstanding chef. So to be clear about this, I can bring those chefs into my kitchen and, and give me personal instruction about how to make something delicious for somebody I love. That's the idea. Sounds great. It's good. That's a really I mean, good idea. Well, I don't know. You know yeah, time yes. will tell. Time will tell. I understand that. So actually, I, I, what's interesting so far about it is you had your business chops developed. Like you, you're a business. Yeah, I mean, I was a six degree black belt. In I was just going to say, you're, you're like a business athlete yeah, yeah, yeah. by any standards. Yeah, you know? and I've done, done a lot. Man. And just by, by way of full disclosure, when I first met you, you were kind of giving advice to uh, a studio that I was involved with. Yeah. And, you know, I always viewed you as like, okay, this guy has this piece under his belt. Yeah, that I got. And then, and then the real point of departure was to bring together your individual creativity, which is your passion for cooking. Yeah, I mean, it turns out to be more than that. The product, which has been selected by Apple as one of the best apps in the store, is really me. How it works, how it right. functions, what it looks like, every detail of it right. is me. 
we've made a television show that we sold to FYI called mm-hmm. Love at First Bite. It's about couples and how the stories about how they fell in love and then opened <laughs> restaurants together. And dishes, Is that on the air now? Mm-hmm, and dishes that uh, kind of brought them together. It's called Love at First Bite? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what uh, what network is it on? FYI, it's part of the A&E family. Um, so I've made some television, I never thought I'd do that. Yeah. All the video and the way we shoot it, I direct all the video. Um, huh. All the photography, half of it I shot. Mm-hmm. So, so your arc is really from be- becoming, first getting your black belt in just business principles. Yeah, hardcore. Like, hardcore. You know, like CFO of the... Right. F- a of, huge of, business of the like largest flying. record company one, in the world. Yeah, I mean, right? one of the bigger labels in the yeah. in like third or fourth largest right. label. And then kind of really busting out of that into digital and then basically blowing it all up and going for it. So you, you This was terrifying. You entered the creative zone and then you also entered the entrepreneurial zone like together in one shot. Which was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's I say there's a say young I, entrepreneur out there. I can't there. say I handled it as well ah, okay. as I do now. Yeah. Well, Dave, one of the reasons I wrote this book is I, I say in it, I want to save you 10 years of my life. <laughs> Just sure. sharing the mistakes that I made. Yeah, it's hard. So if you were giving advice to yourself 10 years ago, starting this business, what would the advice be? Um, 2020 hindsight. very simple principles. One is you really have to believe in yourself. Okay. I would say two, you have to embrace uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Three, you never know mm-hmm. where it's coming from. Uh, I mean, you never yeah, know. Uh-huh. It's a cliche, but it, I mean, I can't even tell you. I was, my company was out of cash out of cash, I furloughed the employees. I needed thirty-eight thousand dollars to close a half a million dollar round. I looked for a month and a half. I gave myself one more week. I flew out to LA. I, I tried to have some meetings. I couldn't get anything done. Thursday night, Friday, I give myself till Friday. I was going to shut the company and move on. I went out to dinner with my buddy and one of his college roommates. He's like, "Tell him what you do." I'm like, "Bro, I'm done. Let's just drink and." <laughs> it's Friday night at this point. And he said, just tell him. Uh-huh. And I tell the guy what I'm doing. He's like, well, how much you need? I was like, well, 38 grand. He's like, well, I'll give that to you. And rolled it up and three months later raised eight million bucks from a big company. After I got that 38 grand and mm-hmm. turned the company back on again. Long way around to say, you just can't, you can't remotely know where the opportunity really is mm-hmm. the only thing you can do is just stay open, mm-hmm. remain open, remain open, remain open. So that's effort you, with with the release of outcome. And that's what you said to the young Dave, the younger Dave Elmer. Yeah, maybe. Now there's uh, also. I mean, it's, it's tough, you know. Mm-hmm. I, there's a sauce. The whole cocktail is cooked. I mean, it was an uncooked Elmer back then, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that had to happen before right. this could have happened. Right. To tell you the truth, I would not have been, it would not have been the same journey for me had I done this before I'd gotten that little box of books mm-hmm. from Deepak. Now, if you were the CFO of your own company now and only fulfilling that black belt, six degree black belt role, 
what advice would you give to, to Dave, the, the um, CEO and creative director, in terms of hardcore business advice, let's say? Oh, in terms of what you need to worry about? Yeah, like how, you know, uh, some of the things in the book just like, you know, was there a good plan? Are you checking in on the numbers? Are you kind of tracking where you're going? Are you ready to adjust and adapt when you need to? Just I mean, look, I would say the best thing I've known about any business I've ever managed financially is the plan is just a guidepost. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really there to just give you something to check against. But all it is is a plan. Mm -hmm. But I should mean, you have one? Sure. Mm -hmm. I think the the amount of energy you give to a plan depends on the, um, the stage of the company. Mm -hmm. When a company is nascent, the plan doesn't really mean much. So how much energy you kind of hold yourself to that is, more, is less important than when a company is past break even and has a history and has a client base and has employees and has a track record. The plan becomes a little bit more important mm -hmm. uh, the longer a company has track record. Mm. As it grows, you need, yeah. you need to really I mean, I, Yeah, and I think, I think um, uh, too much energy is put on numbers. Oh, I see. Okay, so. I think so. Uh -huh. I think, you know, for a CEO, I think it's way more important to worry about the creative aspect of the business. The content. Whatever you are, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a content company or service, or service, or you, if you make drugs, make sure you make a great drug. Like you know, the core of a business is what it does, mm -hmm. and the CEO should be really intimately focused on that. Mm -hmm. I use this metaphor, Dave, in, in in one chapter: the business body, the body as a, as as the elements of a business, that the legs are. R&D and product development. Uh -huh. That's the foundation of every business. The heart is your vision of what your, you know, creative vision for the company. Uh -huh. Left arm marketing, right uh -huh. arm sales, uh -huh. head administration, ears customer service. Nice. And just to make sure that you're not, you know, that those elements are in balance. Um, because like I've seen companies where the marketing was weak, but, and, and also just the extreme value of good salespeople is something that um, in my, professional life I I really saw the potency of good salespeople good salespeople I feel can sell anything to anyone sales starts when you hear no <laughs> might be your quote sales starts when you hear no you hear that everybody <laughs> listen this uh, entrepreneurial shit is no joke yeah and it requires a depth of commitment, will, and effort that yeah. is deeper than anything I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, you have to go at it with a view of there is no possibility of failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Failure is just not an option. Mm -hmm. And I still might fail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, full commitment, you mean, kind of. Yeah. Just. Full on. Like a full metal jacket commitment mm -hmm. to to make it. And do you think that's what the great entrepreneurs have as one element? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a great entrepreneur yet. I'm one that's mm -hmm. like working it. Um, yeah. I know seeing the six, so far the successes my business has had, it all comes from that, this unrelenting um, depth of will mm -hmm. that is uh, 
bigger than most people's levels and also the capacity to sit in the most chaotic unknown circumstances when you've never shot video before when you know no chefs when you've never built a, a technical product when you've never raised money when you've never marketed a subscription business when you've never done any of these things you stand in the middle of a cornfield mm-hmm. and in every direction you look all there is is corn there's not a road anywhere <laughs> requires someone who's comfortable trying to figure things out Mm -hmm. you need to really love the aspect of the unknown and how and trying to put the puzzle together Mm -hmm. like you have to like putting puzzles together to be someone who would go do something like this or you're going to be really uncomfortable and frustrated if you bridge that across to living and to relationships into your spiritual life would you say that principle underlies all the way through hey look i think uncertainty is life Mm -hmm. and i also think the journey to finding your own dharma is just listening Mm -hmm. and um and following intuition around what you think feels right and i think that helps with It certainly has, you know, my life has never been better. And it's never been more different than what it was. Mm. And that's after a divorce and a complete radical shift and change in career. And the takeaway isn't it's easy. Yeah. You know, enlightenment or the, the quest for truth isn't doesn't mean your life is going to be easy in fact actually the work i've done to get to where i sit today from eight or nine or ten years ago is the hardest work i've done but some of it being internal work all the way around yeah Mm -hmm. but changing my life to what i felt would be something that would be more fulfilling and happy Mm -hmm. but um the fruit of the effort is a life that's never been better Mm mm-hmm so it's the most important work you could do and it has the biggest payoff mm-hmm. and you know divorce and all these things when you know you have to chase truth mm-hmm. they're terrifying but necessary yeah and dave what would you say the role of formal let's say spiritual practices like those retreats that you did or kind of formal practice uh, what, i mean what's, so beyond, what's the role of that in terms of everything we're talking about how important is it? I would say those things were the core. So it's important. I would put it above almost anything. I would say that if you think that you can, there are some people that are just generally naturally aware. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> so I needed that. Uh-huh. But the depths of clarity around the un process stuff of yourself of your mm-hmm. psyche and mm-hmm. self the things that truly fill you up mm-hmm. a feeling of peace and calm so you have a sense of what really is true all of these things are near impossible to find without a long patch of silence mm. and 
It's just the silence that does most of the work. Is that a daily patch of silence too, or is that a retreat some patch people, of silence? For some people, I needed 10 full days right. to find more happiness than I'd ever done on a Four Seasons Hotel vacation mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and it was the seeing how my mind worked and seeing the way, the patterns of the thoughts and seeing the peace that I found from eliminating most of life was illuminating to me. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that... So do you consider that kind of ongoing, regular I mean, activity, look, periodic honestly, activity? Honestly, I do not have a regular, quote, traditional practice. Like, I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and meditate every day. So you don't have a daily type of practice? No. But this morning... I spent time watching awareness watch itself. And how did you do that? Did you leave time for that to be the Fuck only no. activity? Or did you do it in the middle of cooking? Or I was walking? lying in bed uh -huh. and just had a calling to awareness called me to let awareness be awareness. And, and, and lying, then while lying in bed, just laying there looking mm. out the window. Um, <laughs> it gets more and more. Yeah prevalent in your life mm -hmm. I've found not making this a project mm -hmm. another thing to work on mm -hmm. has been helpful for my personality type I see. and over time I've learned to trust that it is doing itself mm -hmm. I just have to get out of the way mm -hmm. and you know 18 years after I took that first course, I went back and took it again. Yeah. And I thought I was What was the course? It. It's what called the Energy Intensive at, at Kripalu. It's run by uh, Jonathan Faust and Rick Faust, two amazing beings. And, um, Is that a, a, a weekend or a week long? It's like three days. Yeah. Okay. Silent three days. Mm -hmm. These guys are mad scientists. They're mm -hmm. effing crazy. And they're amazing at it. Um, and they basically... You got no choice but to have something shake off after mm. three days with the way they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I went back. I was taking my girlfriend up there so she could experience it. I thought that was the reason I was doing it. But it turns out, you know, I needed it. Uh -huh. And that's kind of the way spirituality is. You kind of have to stay open there, too. You have to be listening really intently because there's... The body and the mind are very intelligent, and they help guide you. Mm -hmm. That is the true teacher and the guide, is the body and the mind. And the rest of it is just pointing. But yet there were a couple of teachers at the program. What was their role? Look, there are people along the way that have completely added value. You mm -hmm. know, where, you know, Ajashanti is a guy for me who's a non-dualist, and that non-dual path for me is really, it's my thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it resonates for me, and mm -hmm. hes I've listened to him over the years, and stuff he said 10 years ago for me didn't sink in, and I heard it last week, and I was like, huh, oh, wait mm -hmm. a minute. I get that now. Right. You know, I think spiritual path is like that, where you can listen to someone, and you'll hear them talking, like, yep, I've experienced that, I've experienced sure. that, hold on. That's past my boundary of experience. 
it's probably something that will that is that is yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. it just hasn't happened to me yet, and uh, so that's been a pretty amazing. Yeah. So you've had in, input from a variety of. Oh yeah, I mean, I sat with Silkman Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. I've sat with uh, Joseph and Sharon. I've I've done work with these guys with Kripalu. Um, uh, I sat with another Rinpoche dude. I've done, <laughs> like I've done I've done yeah. a lot, mm -hmm. you know, with a lot of different. I did a self-guided retreat in a hut in mm -hmm. the middle of um, Crestone, Colorado, for a couple of weeks. You know, I've done a lot of different things and I'm not really looking that hard at this point for somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking pretty hard at just trying to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And would you say that's true for business as well? Is that, does that apply to being an entrepreneur? Does that apply to creativity? Getting think, out of the way. I think, absolutely. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It turns out that it's all the same. You, just, <laughs> you bucket it and you think it's different, but it's not. Well, that's Creativity the, that's the requires... Yeah. Here's the weird thing uh -huh. about creativity. I've never made a thought come. Okay. They just come. Mm -hmm. You mean a creative thought? A thought, any kind yeah. Of, By the way, any thought. I've never... Yeah. None of these thoughts are mine. Right. But the one thing I know that's a, that's is... That's a good chapter title, too. None of these thoughts are mine. They're not. They, you think they are. Sure. And you think you're smart because you had a good idea. But whose idea was it really? Yours? The universe's? Mm -hmm. Who created that idea? Mm -hmm. I have no effing idea but when I stand in the shower and something drops out mm. into my head that's grace yeah. and what I found is that the more space you give mm -hmm. the more opportunity there is for that creative thought to happen well so that I learned from Simon Fuller can, can you talk a little bit about when you lose track of that and you want to make something happen like it's hard not to want to make something happen when you have a business and money on the line and people and so forth. When you lose track of that, is there a way to kind of regain that that view? Um, when you become anxious about the I think you need to have, like with all of even spirituality, experience informs. Mm -hmm. And I think when you've had the opportunity to recognize it sometimes things happen that are beyond your effort. Yeah. That informs the muscle that, hold on a second, um, I should stop efforting a bit, slow down, open, and wait. Mm -hmm. And maybe the universe will send me something I need. And I have to say that that, um, it's the trickiest part of, I was, we were saying this as we were walking to lunch. So I was saying that the line between effort and grace mm -hmm. yeah. is a curious one. But. Another good chapter title. Yeah. The line between effort and grace is a curious one. It is. Yeah. That'll be in my book. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> you might sneak its way into this one. 
I hope not, because <laughs> I'm writing one. Um, Are you writing a book? I think so. Yeah. I have a lot to say about... Yeah. Um, I, it's more a memoir, probably, than, mm-hmm. than a book. Just my journey and what it's been like to go from an asshole to an enlightened asshole. <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, in one form, you know you're an asshole. <laughs> and in the other, you don't. Dave, I think that might be a good place to, to <laughs> wrap it. And I know you're busy, so I don't want to take too good. much of your time. But yeah. th- thank you very much. And for those who are listening, you know, um, Go get the Pana app and make something delicious for somebody you love. I love that. If it's still around when, yeah. I, when this podcast releases. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and while you're doing that, embrace uncertainty at the same time. Deeply dive headfirst into the pool of uncertainty. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Next time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.